0: Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. Um, the um, just a suggestion: if you're fairly new here at Fellowship Bible Church, participating in Follow the Star is really kind of a great way to get to meet m- new people or more people and get plugged in. and, and uh, I would encourage you to to uh, participate in some way because it is a is it a fun time with about. Four or five hundred FBC volunteers that all come together, and this is our tenth year doing it. So, um, connect that way. And just a, a clarification: the the, the sermon uh, podcast thing, just so you know, that's that is that is not a retelling of the sermon. So, you, you know, you don't you don't have to worry. It's uh, <laughs> y- if you want to, that's you know. But it's uh, we're, we're, it's a kind of a fun format discussing it. And and um, you know, if I if I shared everything that I could share. We'd be here for an hour, so you've know got to keep these things down to, you know, these sermons have to be packaged to a certain length, so there's, a, there's a hook that comes out and grabs me here. So the sermon podcast, uh, I'll try to fill in some different things uh, related to that. So glad you're here. Let me pray and ask the Lord's uh, wisdom for us. Father, we're grateful that uh, you have revealed yourself to us, that we have a Bible, we have your Word. And um, we can open it and we can study it. Um, and I, I pray, Lord, that it would be your Spirit who would teach us now and lead us into truth and, and stir us up by way of a reminder, um, stir us up uh, in, in maybe a fresh way that when we leave here today, Father, uh, we will have met with you, we will have been challenged by you, and we will be transformed by you. These things, Father, we pray for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. The, um, the ancient city of Ephesus uh, was second only to Rome in terms of its, its cosmopolitan culture and commerce. Uh, this ancient city uh, was located on the Aegean Sea, a coastal city there in what's modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was a, a community or a town or a city of uh, estimated a quarter of a million people. This was no small little port town on the Aegean Sea. This was a huge, huge city with a massive seaport. And because of that, it's, it's huge population, it's massive seaport. It was a very wealthy city, extremely wealthy city, and it was a very highly educated city. Um, early in the second century century, um, the um, archaeologists have undug this but there was a a famous library in Ephesus called the that was built in the early second century the Library of Celsus. 12,000 books or scrolls were housed in this library. Um, some say it was the third largest library of antiqu- in, in antiquity. Uh, this was a, a, a no small mean city. Uh, there was a large medical school there. Uh, the Education again was, uh, they had great pride in their educational advancements. Both boys and girls attended school. They studied history and math, astronomy, and philosophy. Ephesus had been the the hometown of a famous philosopher of the sixth century BC by the name of Heraclitus. And so they prided themselves, this is the home of Heraclitus. And so they studied philosophy, they studied the arts. There was a massive uh, theater uh, in um, in Ephesus, 25,000 people could sit in this arena and so they again prided themselves in their arts, in their philosophy, in their history, a highly educated city. But The thing that the Ephesians probably prided themselves the most in was what was labeled one of the seven wonders of the world and it was the temple to Artemis. This is a Artist rendition of that. It was also the Romans called it the temple to Diana. Uh, this was the center of cultural and religious life in Ephesus. Um, it was the largest uh, at that time, largest structure uh, in all the world, surpassing the buildings in Rome. And so again, great pride. But the center of this worship, this cultic worship of Artemis, uh, it was a very a very deviant, evil, wicked, uh, cultic practice. Thousands of temple prostitutes were employed. And so it was a, a deeply uh, wicked, um, evil uh, center, cultic center. But this was the center of their religious and oftentimes social life. In fact, someone told me after the first service, they had been uh, to, this, um, uh, to, to Ephesus a couple years ago, and they said there was a hidden tunnel from the library of Celsus that led to the brothels, all spread out into brothels in Ephesus, um, all generated by <clears throat> the cultic worship of, uh, of Artemis. It was a, a city that the Apostle Paul visited on his second missionary journey. The book of Acts tells us that. And he started a church there. He brought the good news of Jesus, and a church was started, a Christian church was started in Ephesus. Now, As we understand in terms of the history of the early church, when the Apostle Paul died, John, the disciple of Jesus, the Apostle John, moved to Ephesus and uh, was the the lead elder, was the lead um, um, spiritual leader of that church in Ephesus. In fact, tradition also says that he brought Mary, the mother of Jesus, with him. Because at the cross, Jesus said, behold your mother, and, and tradition says that John took care of Jesus' mother. And uh, the tomb of, supposedly, the tomb of Mary and John uh, are in Ephesus today. And so John uh, was the, the key leader of that church, um, and he comes to Ephesus, and he, he writes the, four, the three epistles and the, and the gospel that bears his name there in Ephesus, the gospel of John, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He was exiled to a little island uh, outside of Ephesus uh, called Patmos, and that's where he got the revelation, the last book of the Bible. But he wrote the Gospel of John there in Ephesus. Now what do we know about the Gospel of John? Well, it was an evangelistic track. It was an evangelistic treatise. Uh, we know that because the very last Uh, chapter there, or or, uh, second to last chapter, at the end of his gospel account, he writes, therefore, many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you'll have life in His name. So John wrote this series of stories about Jesus. There are seven, actually eight signs that, G, that John wrote about. And he said, I could have filled this book with many other signs that Jesus, but I've included these signs so that as you read about Jesus, you'll come to believe that He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you'll have life in His name. So John wrote this book as an evangelistic treatise to point people to Jesus. Now, that's how he ended the book. He began the book, very interestingly, in chapter 1, verse 1, with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, what makes this opening introduction so interesting is three times he uses that word, word, word. And the Greek word is logos. You may have heard that. We get a word logic, logical, logos. The, the Latin word is ratio, ra- rational. Um, and three times, John uses that word in his introduction. Now, it's a common word. Um, typically, it's translated in the New Testament as, as um, you know, the, 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 they spoke the word to them or the word of the Lord came, and it's just a, a communication. Um, he spoke to them. But three times in the opening verse, John uses logos. Why? Anything significant about that? Um, I mentioned that in Ephesus, uh, they prided themselves in uh, their, their traditions, their philosophical history and heritage that in the 6th century B.C., a famous philosopher Heraclitus came from Ephesus. Heraclitus um, uh, popularized this word logos. In fact, um, he uh, wrote about the logos, he philosophized about the logos, he um, was criticized and critiqued about the logos. Heraclitus This pre-Socratic philosopher, even to this day, is still viewed um, as a famous philosopher, in fact, possibly the father of philosophy of all time. People still study Heraclitus. In fact, there's a professor over at St. John's College in Annapolis, Uh, she might be Professor Emeritus now, uh, Eva uh, Brand, who in 2011 not that long ago wrote a book entitled Heraclitus and the Logic and the Logos so people are still writing and debating and studying Heraclitus and the Logos it was very very popular again the Ephesians prided themselves about Heraclitus because this idea of logos had taken the ancient world by storm the Logos, it was viewed by Heraclitus, was, um, and, and believe me, uh, I don't have a clue what, I, what I'm talking about on this stuff. I, I, I try to read a little bit of Heraclitus. I try to read a little bit of uh, Brand's book. I'm a farm boy from Nebraska, all right? I, it, p- now, some of you might pick up on this. In fact, some of you may have studied Heraclitus. But as I understand it, Heraclitus uh, popularized this idea of Logos by saying it is, it is everything that makes up the universe. All things happen according to the Logos. This kind of reminds me of what Carl Sagan of, would, uh, once said, that the cosmos is everything, and everything is a cosmos. Well, Heraclitus said, the Logos is everything and everywhere, and everything is united and combined into the Logos. Sounds very philosophical. He said it's the, the, the principal order of rational discourse, of, of all knowledge, of all existence. It, it brings um, rational discourse and the structure of the universe all together and into some harmonious one unified whole. It, 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 it defines life, it is life, it's over and outside of life. The logos, uh, though independent in its existence, it's universal even possibly some divine entity, the Logos. And this was all over these ancient writings, because he's popularized this in the 6th century B.C. Um, now, John, the apostle, uh, writes this gospel track, and his target audience, as he writes it, is to the Ephesians, to the, I'm understanding it, to the educated, sophisticated, sophisticated elitists of Ephesian cultural life, of Jews and the Greeks, and he begins his writing to these, these educational elitists, in the beginning was Lagos, and the Lagos was with God, and the Lagos was God. He's speaking their language. And as this gospel treatise goes out to these educated Ephesians, they'll pick it up and they begin reading the very first line, In the beginning was the Logos. Hmm. You could just see them stroke their white beards. Hmm. And the Logos was with God. Hmm. And the Logos was God. Hmm. And they would all agree. And they would all have been, you know, sucked into this gospel treatise. Educated elite of Ephesus, when they began reading John's gospel, I have no doubt they were all ears. He was talking their talk, he was playing their game. Um, Now, he was also capturing not just the Sophisticated Greeks, the sophisticated Jews, because you see, this concept of Logos in ancient Jewish literature uh, was also very popular. And there's some literature uh, about 100, 200 years before the time of Christ called Second Temple literature. One of them is called The Wisdom of Solomon. And the writer, The Wisdom of Solomon, in describing what happened to the firstborn of the Egyptians in the plagues, wrote, Your almighty Logos. He used that word. Leaped down from heaven out of your royal throne as a fierce man of war into the midst of a land of destruction. The Logos came from God and destroyed the emanating power of God and the elitist Jews of Ephesus, steeped in Heraclitus, steeped in the Old Testament Torah. They would all understand, oh yes, the Logos, we understand that. That's the emanating power of God. He was speaking everybody's language, John was, as he writes, in the beginning was the Logos. Even within the Old Testament Scriptures themselves, this concept was found. I mean, the the opening line of Genesis, it would draw people right to this as they read John's gospel, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he goes on, Moses says, as he writes in the the opening of Genesis, that God merely spoke, and all the world came into existence. And God said, let there be, and God spoke. The, The emanating power of God, His creative force, and the educated, sophisticated Jewish thinkers around Ephesus would all agree, because even the psalmist said in Psalm 33, By the logos, the Old Testament Greek translation of the Hebrew, the Septuagint, by the logos of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the sophisticated Jews would say, we know what that is. It's this emanating power of the breath of God that brought all things into existence. And the sophisticated Greeks would say, yes, but it is what uh, binds all of the universe together the logos. Even during the time of Christ in the early church time, there was a Jewish philosopher by the name of Philo from Alexandria, Egypt, and he wrote about the Lagos. He said, the Lagos of the living God is the bond of everything, holding all things together and binding all the parts, preventing them from being dissolved and separated. It's the glue of the universe. It pervades everything. It is in everything It transcends everything. Oh yes, and it's tied back to Jehovah God, the Jewish elitists of Ephesus would say. And so again, John begins this evangelistic treatise with, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. And everybody reading this, gospel tract that was being disseminated throughout the the streets and the homes of Ephesus they would begin and say well yeah we can buy that that's what we've been taught for centuries it wasn't until the 14th verse that John stirred up the waters because in verse 14 he says this and the word the logos became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth what everything John said in the first part was not controversial at all that's what Heraclitus kinda sorta taught but now in verse 14 oh wait a minute the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We, we saw Him, we touched Him, we encountered a, a, a person. To the Greeks, the Logos was this impersonal force. To the Jewish elitist educated Jews of Ephesus, He was the emanating power that spoke the world into existence. Not a, not a person, but a, the, the, the breath of God that spoke. And John now comes along and says, let me tell you who the Logos is. It's a person and his name is Jesus. And then he takes the rest of his theological evangelistic treaties and tells them who this Jesus is. He is the one who existed with God. He was the great I Am, and John will go through that, He is very God of very God who wrapped Himself up in human flesh and we saw Him, we ate with Him, we talked with Him, we laughed with Him. He loved us. He's real. He's a person who's come among us. And if you put your faith in Him, I've given you these signs and I've presented these signs to you that if you believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God, you will have everlasting life because it's wrapped up in a person. This is Jesus. What you have pondered over, what you have philosophized over for hundreds of years, I now present to you, Jesus of Nazareth. And when He speaks and when He talks to you and when you encounter Him, He will alter your life for all of eternity you will have everlasting life. For the living Logos, the living Word, has come to us. He has dwelt among us. He is Jesus. In the past past weeks, we were doing a series on the, the written Word, the Bible. We talked about the authority of the Scriptures. We can trust God's Word. It's the inspired, inerrant Word of God. It is sufficient. For us, everything we need for life and godliness, God has communicated in this book. It is His revelation of Himself, of His deeds, of His heart to us. And we studied how God miraculously um, preserved it and collected the, the writings of the, of the biblical writers, and, and it came into this form of this book. And down through the centuries, it was preserved, and, and we have it to, with us today. So that when we pick up this Word, it is the Word of God. We can trust it. This is no ordinary man-made book. It is the Word of God. Well, in the coming weeks through this month and into December, I want to share some things about the living Word, the Logos who became flesh and dwelt among us, and some of the things that He spoke to us. When the living Word speaks, it transforms lives. I'm not going to talk about the the big passages like the Sermon on the Mount or the Upper Room Discourse. I'm going to talk about those little uh, phrases that Jesus might have thrown out to a person, maybe they are the only ones that heard it. Um, Statements that He made that forever altered a life. And so over the next weeks, that's what we're going to be focused on. When the living Word speaks, it transforms us. Now, I want to share two takeaways from John. And his gospel treatise. Two things that stuck out to me. And the first one is as John wrote this gospel treatise to this very um, sophisticated, educational, wealthy, elitist class of Ephesus, these Jews, these Hellenistic Jews and Greeks, he had one message to communicate, and it was Jesus Christ. John's number one goal was to communicate Jesus. He knew that the one thing that this great city of Ephesus needed, in all their arrogance and all all their um, accumulation of of wealth and glory and fame and historical um, achievements, John knew that this city needed Jesus. Most important thing that John could offer people was Jesus, and that's what he wrote about. He wrote about Jesus, and nothing has changed in 2,000 years. What your family members need, what our neighbors need, what our community needs, what our nation needs is Jesus. It's nice to get, say, good information about smart finances so that we can pad our portfolio and, and live comfortably in retirement or whatever. You know, it's nice to, to get information about finances. It's nice to have proper information uh, politically, to be politically informed so we make right choices at the polls. It's nice to um, to be aware and have make right choices relationally so we... Um, marry the right people and we we enjoy the right relationships that don't drag us down you know it's it's good to have right choices in these things of life but you know you can make the right choices financially and go to hell you can make the right choices politically and go to hell when you die you can make the right choices relationally and you can go to hell when you die because you see if you make the wrong choice about jesus you end up in eternity in hell. That's what the Bible says. And John, as he writes his gospel account, as educated as John himself was, he could, I'm sure, hold his own in any form in the ancient city of Ephesus. But when he sought to to communicate the number one thing that the people of Ephesus needed to hear, it was about Jesus. That He was God who became man who took upon himself the sin of the world and he died in our place. He was our sacrifice to satisfy the righteous God's judgment against sin. He, the great I Am, who existed before all things, became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. He was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And only through a personal relationship with him that comes about by faith and faith alone, and we have the absolute assurance that when we leave this earth, we go to heaven because Jesus did all the work. And John knew that that was the one compelling story that people needed to hear. John's goal was to communicate Jesus because you make a wrong choice about Jesus and there's eternal consequences. The second thing that I appreciate about this beginning of John and and his mindset and how it was working. Is that John proclaimed this good news, this word about Jesus, in a very reasonable, palatable way? He communicated Christ creatively. He took what everybody in that sophisticated city would understand and took pride in the Logos. And he said, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And everybody would say, "Mm mm-hmm. He started on that common ground, ingenious. Three times in the opening verse, Logos. Ingenious, but under divine inspiration. That was what God was inspiring him to write. So he understood his audience. He found that common ground. And then he used it to communicate effectively who the Logos really was. The Logos became flesh. Let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. What's your neighbor's Logos? What's your co-worker's Logos? Where's that common ground that as you live in those arenas as a student, People in your family, where's the common ground that you can bridge and then point them, as John did, to Jesus? The Apostle Paul, in, um, in Colossians chapter 4, asked for a prayer. He said, devote yourself to prayer and pray at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I've been imprisoned, and that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Paul said, pray for me. Pray that God will open up a door and that I can speak clearly. This is the Apostle Paul when he was at Athens. Oh, I see you have a a, a, a temple to the unknown God, an idol to the unknown God. Hmm. That which you worship in ignorance, let me tell you about him. And he found that common ground and he bridged it. What is your neighbor's, your co-worker's logos? Where can you find that common ground and then point them, as John did, to to Jesus? I was uh, flying back from a conference uh, some time ago, sitting next to a a businessman. Uh, He was heading home after a busy week, and and so you kind of gauge the conversation. He was willing to converse, so I'm always willing to talk. And, uh, you know, you go through the family and you know, you know grandparent kids and different things and where were you from and you know and all these things Who, you know what's your favorite team or you know sports those kind of conversations and then it was so what do you do he was again some type of a business person i can't remember for sure a scientist of some sort or something and then well, what do i do well I, I i pastor a church i'm a i am I a church you know and he did not have a much of a church background at all so he was intrigued now that could have shut the conversation right off there but he kept pursuing it oh okay so we begin to talk about what I did and and the bottom line was I begin to point it to Jesus what I get to do is tell people about who Jesus was and I asked him have you ever studied much about who Jesus Christ was knew he was a real person historical person but that was about the extent of it so I had the opportunity to take it a step further and talk about, well, you know, he claimed to be God. Uh, in fact, he he said he was going to die and that three days later he was going to rise again. Then historically, we believe that there is an empty tomb, that he really is alive. Have you ever considered who Jesus is? And I said, we really have three options. He He could have lied about all that, this man Jesus. In fact, you know, Maybe just to get a following, he, just, he knew he wasn't God, but he just lied about it. Or maybe he was, worst case, he was a nutcase. I mean, he really thought he was, and he wasn't. He was, you know, detached up here some way. Or maybe he really was who he claimed to be. And maybe there really is an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem. And maybe for 2,000 years, this story about Jesus, maybe it is true. Have you ever considered who Jesus really is? And the guy very honestly said, you know, I never have. I told him that little statement about Jesus being a liar or a lunatic or who he was claiming to be was written by an author from England by the name of C.S. Lewis. Oh, he had heard of C.S. Lewis. I said, have you ever read his book, Mere Christianity? He said, no, no, I never have. Would you be willing to? Yes, he gave me his business card. And uh, I bought it. I, I didn't trust that he might go buy one. So when I got home, I bought a copy, sent it to him. I don't know whatever happened, if I'll see him in heaven or not. It was just a conversation. He didn't get on his knees in the middle of the plane and give his life to Christ, you know. But there was some seed sowing. There's seed sowing. Have you ever considered the claims of Christ? That's what John was doing. He found that common ground. Let me tell you about the Logos, that is everything, was everything, is God and And his light and life and all this and everybody but let me tell you who he really is the logos became flesh i know who he is because i talked to him i walked with him and he loves me his name is jesus let me introduce him to you in our conversations with folks you see what this world needs, what this community needs, what the nation needs, what this world needs. They need an encounter with who Jesus Christ is. And folks, if you know Jesus, if you know Him as your personal Savior, we've got the answer and the solution to the brokenness of this world. All we have to do is tell them about Jesus. We're going have to answer all the scientific questions of the problem of evil and suffering. and I, Okay, yeah, it's a mess, but, but have you ever considered Jesus? You know who He is? How are we doing in sharing the good news of Jesus? And are we able to do it creatively? Here at Fellowship, over the years, we've shared things like the good news, bad news, a little tool that we can share with people, two points, two verses, two illustrations or the bridge illustration, um, and we've gone through that various times. This morning, I just want to walk you through something else, a little little presentation that you can use to point people to Jesus. It's three circles and four arrows. The first circle begins with God's design. God's design. You see, God has a design for every aspect of our life. He's created us. He's created us in His image. And every aspect of our life, our relationships, our relationships, our work, our leisure, our sex life, our finances, every part of our life, God has a design. And when we follow God's design, He blesses us. There is blessing. But we have all a tendency not to want to follow God's design. As human beings, we prefer to follow our own design. And so we depart from God's design, and that departure is called sin. When we don't do the design that God has for us, we do our own, and it's called sin. And it leads to, there's a second circle, it leads to brokenness. The world is in the mess it's in because we've departed from God's design. It's brokenness in our life. There's shame, there's guilt, there's regret. We pursue after deep inner joy and and lasting peace, and it's, it's elusive, it's not there. Real meaning and purpose in life is gone. We can't grasp it. We keep trying for more and, and to fill this and, and solve this brokenness. We try all sorts of things. Mankind does. We'll try the drugs and the alcohol. We'll try the, the sex. We'll try pursuing finances, different relationships. We'll, we'll try all sorts of things of more pleasure or, or religion and pursue religion to try to f- f- heal the brokenness of our soul. But you see, God has designed only one way that that brokenness is going to be solved, and that's the third circle. That's Jesus. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you how how He was God and He left His throne in glory and He came to this earth, the Bible teaches us, and He came to deal with the issue of sin? Yeah, He died as a sacrifice to pay for our sins, and He rose again on the third day and anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ out of their brokenness, as they trust in Christ and Christ alone. And that's the free gift, the free gift of eternal life. We're restored back to this relationship of God's design in our life. Doesn't mean everything in life goes perfectly from that point on. No, bad things are still gonna happen. But internally, everything we have for life, for joy, and abundance of eternal life is now met in Jesus we are restored back to this relationship with our Creator through his son Jesus Christ and it's all because of what he did would you be willing to put your trust in Christ today and see folks you're sitting at a lunch counter with a friend and you've got a, a napkin out and a pencil and you've been you've been going through the circles and the four arrows it's very simple because God has a design for your life, but when we don 't follow that design and do our own, it 's called sin, and that leads to well, the mess that we 're in it 's called brokenness. And we try to solve that brokenness in so many ways, but there 's only one solution, and that 's Jesus Christ. Let me point you to Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Have you ever considered who He was? He offers the free gift of eternal life because he 's dealt with the issue of sin. He paid for our sins on the cross. He offers full forgiveness and eternal life to all who will simply put their faith in Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish. I'm asking you not to do anything. I'm not asking you to clean up your life. I'm not asking you to try to obey the Ten Commandments, make a commitment, write it down, join a church, get baptized. I'm just asking you, do you believe this? Is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? Will you put your eternal destiny and trust in Him? The moment you do, you're restored back into a relationship with God and He's designed for your life. Um, it doesn't take very long to share the good news. John spent about 21 chapters writing a theological and really evangelistic treatise of the great I Am Jesus. He laid out the signs of who He was and he concluded, I've written these things to you. I have could have included many, many things, but I've included these signs. So that you will come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you'll have life in his name. And folks, is that not why we're still here on earth and not in heaven? So one thing we'll never do in heaven, it's to draw three circles and four arrows and tell someone about who Jesus is. We can only do that here. We are called, as Peter says in First Peter chapter 2, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. As this holiday season approaches, the times of Thanksgiving, you know, Christmas, there's all sorts of opportunities to find that communication bridge, to find that, that common logos that we can connect with. Holiday season can be some of the most difficult times for people. Memories of a loss of a loved one or just the pain of a family that's um, dysfunctional or whatever. And there can be an easy transition to say, I know that must be very hurtful. Can, would you mind if I told you about someone who's, who's changed my life? Did, have you ever considered Jesus? You know, God has a design for our life. Blah, 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 blah. You just go through it. Um, the holidays are coming up, opportunities with family members, with, with neighbors, with co-workers. It's a simple thing. And I keep thinking, if John could do this, and the sophistication and the, the elitism of the day of Ephesus, and all their pride and hubris of living as an Ephesian, John just came and said, let me tell you about the Logos. He was a person. Can I introduce you to Jesus. That's all we need to do, introduce people to Jesus. You might be here this morning, and maybe in your spiritual journey, you're still wondering about eternal life. You may have some questions, do you have it, do you possess it? This very same John in his epistle that he wrote in 1 John 5 says, I'm writing this so you can really know you do have it. You can know, and you can know today before you leave this building, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you possess eternal life because this eternal life is in a person. Jesus died for you, and He rose again, and He's alive right now. He is God who became man, who took your sin upon Himself, who was judged for your sin. He paid the penalty in full, and He now offers a free gift And all you have to do to receive it is to believe that He's the giver of that eternal life. He died, He rose again, do you believe it? You put your trust fully in Him and that moment eternal life is yours. That's what John said. That's what the Bible says. That's the message that God said. And your broken world can be changed. The worship team sang earlier in the song Brokenness the words where you are a Savior and you take brokenness aside and you make it beautiful. You make it beautiful. And God wants to do that to everybody we encounter today. To take the brokenness of their life and He can make it beautiful. And so we point Him to Jesus. We point them to Jesus. Jesus. And if we can do it creatively, all the better. Would you bow your head, please? And Father, I would ask that if there is anyone here today who has yet put their trust in you, may you right now, as you so sovereignly and so graciously do, open their hearts, give them an aha moment, like I pray and hope that so many Ephesians did as they read John's Gospel. That this Logos became flesh. His name was Jesus. He is the Son of God who took away the sin of the world. And by simple faith in him, we have everlasting life. Thank you, Father, for conveying that to us in your book, the Bible, making that alive in us through your Holy Spirit, and giving us mouths to speak it to our friends and neighbors. And we'll leave it in your hands for your glory, the results, in Jesus' name, amen.